Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. I'm here today on the pebble beach of St. Bees in the far west of the county, under perfect blue skies and looking across a very calm opal sea towards the Isle of Man. And I'm here in the company of author, illustrator and our guide for today's walk, Mark Richards. Ho, 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 Mark. Ha, <laughs> ha, you, you've heard the story then. I'm going to be Father Christmas, you're absolutely right. I say ho, ho, ho because it's our Christmas special today, Mark. This time last year we were sitting in front of a, a fire on a very miserable day in uh, Grassmere at Dove Cottage, but today very different and we're heading out across the cliffs but we have a variety pack of seasonal goodies today we're talking about local St Bees mummers we're talking about a snow legend a local snow legend and we're also talking about uh, a seasonal ghost story based around Christmas Day so we've got plenty of Christmassy things to talk about Uh, and we've also got a lovely walk what walk are we doing Mark? Well, initially we're doing what all good coaster-coasters do, is walk up the inviting cliff ahead of us, uh, along the pasture edge. Uh, they get to the lighthouse and the coaster-coasters head inland. We're staying faithful to what is going to shortly be the England coast path, all the way down into Whitehaven itself. In the summer, this will be the starting point of many people's daily journey as they head east to um, Robin Hood's Bay on the other side of the country. Um, but today it's very quiet here. This is the preserve of local dog walkers today. Our guest. Now, this is something of a first, Mark. We're actually walking with somebody we've walked with before. Who's our guest today? Well, we've got a man who lives in Whitehaven, Alan Cleaver, who we uh, enjoyed the walk from St. Catherine's at Boot over to St. Olaf's in Wasdale Head on the old Corpse Road. And that Corpse Road linked with St. Bees. St. Bees was the mother church. So, in effect, we've got a, a natural linkage. And it's worth saying before we go and meet him that um, earlier this summer, Alan's book, The Corpse Roads of Cumbria, won the Lakeland Book of the Year. Uh, and he actually beat me, Mark. I was in the same category as him. And, um, yeah, he, he picked me to the post. So, no hard feelings. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll try. Although he has just admitted that uh, he gave Eric Robson, one of the judges, a, a lift to the awards ceremony. So I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure about anything. I think it's all lovely. I think uh, he, he was a worthy winner. Anyway, it's a, a good book, uh, a worthy winner, a good little um, stocking filler as well. And I think it's fair to say that um, we can now call Alan on his second visit with us, a, a friend of the show. Yes, that's, so, we, that's OK. Isn't I, it? I remember lots of people really enjoyed his previous episode, and so uh, we're awash with friends today. OK, well, let's take a few steps up the uh, coast path now and go and meet Alan.
Let me walk you across this uh, shingly beach here. It, it's a pebbly beach, St Bees. Oh, yes, uh, it is indeed. Until the tide goes out and then you've got plenty of sand. And a few bits of wood from old shipwrecks as well that you'll find when the tide yeah, goes out. So well, it's wonderful to have you again joining us. We've relished your Corpse Road episode and now you've brought us to St Bees, which was the... Mother Church, as I remember you saying on that podcast, carried Most here. corpse roads ended up at St Bees. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. uh, and whether it was from Lowe's Water or Whitehaven or south of the county, Ravenglass, Egremont, they all, they all tended to end up here. Uh, corpse Road capital, really. It's a wonderful place. Ocean before us, which is an unusual thing for countryside. I can see down to Black Coombe, which is very clearly to our south. What's the origin of St Bees itself, would you say? Well, the traditional story is about um, St Bega, who's built the priory here initially. And uh, the famous story is that she asked Lord Egremont, who owned the land around here, uh, for some land to open a priory uh, here. And uh, he jokingly said, well, you can have as much land as there is snow on tomorrow morning. And tomorrow morning was going to be Midsummer's Day. So he thought it was a fairly safe bet. <laughs> and, of course, he, he reckoned without the miracles of St. Vega. <laughs> uh, because the next morning, uh, woke up and discovered that most of what is now St. Bees was covered in snow. So she had all this land in which to build the priory. Mom. And he was all right with it, apparently. Uh, so it was a very important religious site uh, for many reasons. Lovely spot that draws people from all over the world. Yes. Because of the coast to coast. The coast to coast starts here and uh, the coast to coast walk. And so it's a very popular place. The village is about a mile away, half a mile away. Uh, lots of pubs there, a good place to stay. And so it's a good, yeah, it's a good starting off point. And a wonderful cafe just by the beach, which seems, seems to be open most days of the year. So it's, it's, recommend that. It's salubrious. <laughs> uh, and uh, people yeah. stride their dogs along this concrete platform always here. popular very popular on, on boxing day it's always oh. a good get a breath of fresh air on boxing day so right uh, it tends to be busy then with everybody desperate to get some fresh air uh, after the christmas excess the sea is quite low at the moment i notice alan and uh, you can see the natural platform of the sandstone rocks there but i just hint at something just fractionally by the edge of the waves there. What, what Well was spotted, that? Mark. That's actually an open-air swimming pool. No. Uh, which was built for use by the school pupils to teach them how to swim, and indeed for other people. When the tide goes out, the seawater stays in there, and it gave them this open-air swimming pool for a game. And although it's sort of derelict now and out of use, uh, you can still see the remains of it. And uh, if you fancy going for a swim, I won't stop you. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, make a first strides up the slope, it's I think. It's a steep climb. Get your boots on. <laughs> Great spot, isn't it, Alan? A reasonably high up south head. Uh, we're looking south and south-east. You can see Herdus uh, and uh, the pillar. Of the yeah. And further south of it, you see Scorfell and Scorfell Pike with uh, Sea Talon just in front. And then the Coniston Fells just in view a bit further south um, and Stickle Pike and Core, I think it is, Core. And then the group of fells south of Eskdale down to Black Coombe. And there's Sellafield steaming away in the distance as well. Yeah. <laughs> you were mentioning seasonal tradition associated with some bees. Yes, they have a curious tradition called the Mummer's Play, 
and not many people know what they are, so I'll, I'll assume you know nothing. I know. I've heard that they exist <laughs> all over the country. They do. And as far as I know, this is the only one regularly performed each Christmas. It's a Christmas tradition. And just imagine you're sat in a pub in St Bees on Christmas Eve, supping a, a mulled wine, mm-hmm. and uh, barging in through the door come these men, it's usually all men, but uh, women do do it now as well, dressed in tatter coats like Morris men, mm-hmm. uh, wearing uh, sprangly hats, sparkly hats, carrying a toy sword or oh. dressed very peculiarly. And you're thinking, what on earth is going on? And these are the mummers. And it, mm-hmm. it goes back certainly to the time of the uh, Crusades, so mm-hmm. medieval times. Nobody's quite sure what the origin is. What is uh, a mummer? Um, it, it's from sort of miming, uh, as in performing a play, as right. an actor, uh, right. like that. So That explains uh, that one. And they're normally now the Morris men who in the winter have got nothing better to do <laughs> and they do this and uh, essentially well I'll read you just a bit give you a flavour of it um, one of the characters comes in and the first thing he does uh, he's called Rumour as he makes room for their performance so right. he gets a brush handle broom out and he goes room room brave gallants give us room to sport for in this room we wish to resort resort and to repeat our merry rhyme for remember good sirs this is christmas time so having got the attention of everyone uh he then introduces the main characters and there's a, a hero and a villain and um the, the hero is prince george uh-huh. don't know why but he is and the villain is alexander in this ah. particular play and um they basically set to and have a fight. It's good fun. Uh, and they're actually performing a play from Whitehaven that was recorded and known about in Whitehaven in 1820, so mm. 200 years old. And it was already a very old play by then. Clearly. And yep. in other villages and towns around the country, they all perform the same sort of play, death and revival, somebody's killed and they're revived. So it's winter, you know, New Year sort of idea. Uh, but each of the scripts vary slightly around the country. And the folklore experts love analysing all of this. And they would do, yeah. We're walking this coast path in, in linear, but actually we're going clockwise. We're not going Bel- Beelzebub. No, no, no. <laughs> well, Wainwright sends people up here he does. for the coast to coast, which is very odd because this is heading north. Yes. And if you're going coast to coast, you need to head east. Right, you can uh, see Ellerdale from here in high style. And I, I tend to think we should redesign you and I, Mark. I think we should correct Wainwright. I don't like to criticise <laughs> well, the almighty Wainwright, but I really, it's far better to go out Fleetham House way out on the old miners' trods, go to Big Rig and Cleetermoor and start the coast to coast that way. But who are we to criticise? I think things evolve <laughs> and that sounds like a good evolution to me. Anyway. Right, we'll uh, carry on our way then, shall we? We will indeed. Gained quite a bit of height now on South Head and uh, there's a fence and there's an old bank there because of course the cliff is giving way and so the, the, the farmer's having to keep pulling back from the edge for his cattle and sheep yeah and we can see north towards the lighthouse and the Galloway Hills which are fabulous to see. Well it's the perfect day for isn't it because it's crystal blue sky beautiful clear view uh, just a bit of mist on the horizon sharp cold just a nice Christmas walk. Absolutely and dotted out in the calm waters i can see one two three four 
little boats. Yeah. Uh, they they look almost fantasy boats, really, because they look so tiny. Can you see the ghost ship Betsy Jane? Uh, no. <laughs> well, <laughs> every, Christ- every Christmas, the ghost ship of the Betsy Jane uh, is said to try and get back into Whitehaven Harbour. And the story goes that it was an old slaver ship and it was heading back to Whitehaven laden with treasure, with spices and rum. Because, of course, they took slaves from Africa to the Caribbean and America. So they didn't bring slaves back to Whitehaven, but they brought all the spices and rum. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was trying to get into Whitehaven, uh, came into the Solway Estuary, tried to get into Whitehaven on Christmas morning. And, of course, as all good sailors know, it's extremely bad luck to land a ship on Christmas Day or any other holy day. Um, but the captain was no- having nothing of that because he could hear the bells of St Nicholas ringing out and he could hear the minstrels singing and playing on the harbour. He had very good hearing. Yes. He said, no, well, tempt fate and <laughs> we will come into Whitehaven and enjoy the celebration on Christmas Day. And, of course, a storm gets up, as, as they do when they tempt fate. Instantly. And um, the ship was actually wrecked on Giltstone Rock, which is just off Harrington Harbour. Uh, the story is it sank, every, all lives were lost, oh. all the treasure was lost. Oh. Uh, but every Christmas, the ghost of the ship and its crew can oh. still be seen coming into the harbour, trying, trying to get to into the harbour. Has a bit of archaeology taken place to find that treasure? Uh, no, because it's almost certainly complete nonsense. <laughs> Because um, uh, there's plenty of legends of similar ilk. But we know where this one came from in a sense because um, in the 19th century there was a a local man, John Pagan White, Mm -hmm. and he used to take legends and stories from around the west coast of Cumbria and turn them into ballads and poems. And he wrote uh, a ballad called The Slaver in the Solway. He was a bit Um, like uh, Sir Walter Scott, was that? Well, I suppose, but he was very much into anti-slavery movement, which, of course, was winning the day in the early 19th century century and he dressed this up as a, you know this is what happens if you deal in slavery this is when it's hit the rocks and it, uh, they're all going to be lost with curse and shriek and fearful groan on the foundering ship in the waters lone with curse and shriek and fearful groan they sank on that christmas morning the skipper with arms around his gold scared by dark spirits that loosed his hold was down the deep sea plunged and rolled in the dawn of that Christmas morning. And I just think, wouldn't it be lovely to get a tall ship into Whitehaven in the run-up to Christmas? We could all dress up as pirates and ghosts, have rum and spices for sale. Wouldn't that be a lovely Christmas That's uh, that's waiting to be... I think Country's Tried should uh, generate that enthusiasm. (laughs) Or certainly you could do that, because you have that uh, gusto. Well, I don't know, too much hard work. (laughs) One day somebody will do it. It's a worthy cause. And you can say, I heard it here first. First. (laughs) Shall we continue? Gosh, those rooks are making a noise. And below us on the ledges there, I can see three gannets. Yeah. And some gulls below it. And directly in front of us is Fleswick Bay. 
Uh, it's a real little cove. This one's got uh, some really interesting stories to go with it, I think. Well, it was almost certainly used for smuggling. People will say to me, you know, where's the smugglers' paths around here? <laughs> and I always sort of say, well, I don't know, because they were smugglers' paths. <laughs> and they were, they, <laughs> were, they were secret. They didn't put a sign up saying, here's me, the smugglers' paths. Um, but such an obvious uh, place to land a rowing boat and then get your whiskey, rum or whatever else into the mainland is, is there. I mean, certainly all along the Solway estuary and down to to sea scale, certainly known for smuggling raven glass as well. The local delicacy of rum butter originates from all of that because Mm. rum was one of those that they didn't want to have to pay the customs duty on. So if they could unload a few barrels from the ship and sneak them in, they could make their fortune. Because of course this area is cattle country, so butter and cheese and so on. What was produced in this area? Rum butter followed nicely on from that because, I mean, there's a number of stories that say, but one of them is that um, the customs officers chased these men smuggling in rum and they, they hid in a cave at Parton. They hid there for two weeks and they'd got nothing to eat except butter, uh, which they'd got, uh, and rum. And they mixed the two together and made rum butter. And then uh, once the customs men had gone, they, they rode back out and they came home and said, oh, we've discovered uh, rum butter. Um, and it's still a local delicacy. A lot of people uh, eat it all year round, but most people just tend to eat it at Christmas. Uh, It's also eaten at christenings, major events like that. It would normally have been served in a rum butter bowl. It was such an important and wealthy produce that families would have had their rum butter bowl, quite a big bowl. Put the rum butter in, you'd get biscuit or some bread or something to eat the rum butter with. And if it was at a christening, once the bowl was an empty, people were expected to put in a bit of money for Ah. the the newborn. So a lot of families still have their rum butter bowls uh, as a sort of important part. Um, there's Cumberland rum butter and there's Westmoreland rum butter Ooh, and wow. if you go to likes of Esdale show you'll see there's two different sections and woe betide you if you've made Westmoreland rum butter instead of Cumberland or vice versa. You'll be spotted. The, the, the trick, I never know which way round it is but one of them, I think Cumberland is just rum and butter mixed cold mm-hmm. um, but in um, Westmoreland they sort of melt the butter and the sugar on the cooker and then mix the rum in. So they're a different colour, different texture and um, you don't want to fall foul of the WI judges by getting the the wrong ones. That that would be a rum story. Listen to that water coming down that great slab of sandstone there. It's amazing stone, isn't it, this sandstone? Yes, quite soft, and that's why the coast keeps eroding away. The water here is normally a lot stronger, but there is a footpath across it, and uh, it's not normally a problem. You can just go a little bit higher up the bay, but it goes down uh, onto the coast, a bit of a shingle beach at the end. Um, So you can imagine the smugglers turning up here (laughs) uh, by the light of the moon and lugging all their ill-gotten gains up the hillside. (laughs) There's a narrow path leads down onto the gravelly, shingly beach there. It was a popular day out for the people of Whitehaven in, in Victorian times particularly. To, to come yeah. to that secret little cove. To come to the secret they, they would come out over, walk along the coastal path and come to here and have their picnic 
it was the Blackpool of, of Whitehaven in 1810 or whatever. You Amazing. Um, now, there's a story about fairies here. There is, yeah. Cumbria has a lot of fairy legends, more so than I expected. I mean, the Isle of Man you sort of associate with fairies and Cornwall, Ireland, of course. But fairies were said to dance here at midsummer. Don't think Tinkerbell, don't think Little Gossamer Wings. These were true English fairies. So they were all dressed in white. They were slightly smaller than humans. And they had that ability to go between the sort of fairy spirit world and our world. But they lived quite happily alongside us uh, here. Come back in midsummer and you, you might see them. I'll have to come in summer. It's interesting to look at these walls, Alan. If you look back, you can see hectare-sized fields with these distinctive coastal banks. Yeah. Fundamentally, they're made out of the sandstone mm. and uh, they put the sods into them as a place for wildlife and flowers particularly. They must be gorgeous. Yeah. The words I often hear is a dike and kests for the sort of hedges and banks. I think there's confusion still as to what a dike is and what a hedge is and what a kest is, but I think basically the dike would be this sort of bottom part, really. Then you might have a hedge on top, which would create a barrier for the wind, give you some sort of shelter. And you see, particularly around the Solway kests, that sort of sunken path you don't normally get in Cumbria, but deliberately built up to offer protection on the drovers' roads for cattle and geese and everything else. Cattle and sheep are, are notorious for burrowing under hedges. Yeah. So when there's a stone bank and then the hedge, they can't burrow under them. Oh, right. So yes, that's probably yeah. another factor. There's a great gorse bank there of wind, uh, but there's no trees in this area, but no. there's lots of these lovely stone-walled kesks or yeah, dikes. Yeah, and you need that habitat. I was saying about the number of butterflies that you get along this path uh, in the spring and summer, and it's because of, of that habitat. And I know all the politicians that I know, they want to plant trees, millions and millions of trees, but we also need hedgerows planted. And it's nice to see one or two places where they're ripping out the barbed wire fence and putting hedges back in, because hedgerows are just crammed full, you know, with wildlife, as in goldfinches and robins and sparrows and wrens and everything else that just cram into these hedges. Historically, gorse uh, and hawthorn grew in great areas uh, of scrub or uh, mm. the, the, there are terms that refer to that. Yeah. Uh, the, the, um, Spade Adam up in the north of Hadra's Wall just means the place of the hawthorn. Ah, right. But so. in the Welsh, Ispidum. Right. So it would have been an area covered in hawthorn. Yeah. Now, it was discovered quickly that you could actually control the hawthorn and make it into a hedge, as we call yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, defined boundary and it would keep reviving itself. You can keep cutting it and it keep growing like yeah, grass. Yeah. So this it, is a very good boundary. Nice to see. Well, we come to the concrete path which links from the Coast Guard lookout up to the lighthouse on North Head, to Bees Head proper. And this is where the coast to coast leaves its contact with the West Coast and heads to the East Coast, and there's a little sign here. Yes, Wainwright finally gets back on track and realises he's supposed to be heading east. <laughs> so he sends them up past the lighthouse, which he still lived in, rented out, and uh, yes, they head towards Sanath, which is probably just right time for lunch, and Sanath is a village two miles 
south of Whitehaven, a nice spot. It's spelt Sandwith. Sandwith, um, but as locals <laughs> pronounce it Sanath. Ah, yes, good man. Yes, yes. Um, and it's interesting because we've got some letters written here in 1820 mm-hmm. by a young lady called Dora Harcourt oh, describing yes. Christmas in 1820, uh, which is quite a unique insight. She was basically a London socialite, used to go to all the big balls in London, and she clearly upset her family somehow because they <laughs> Sent her to Whitehaven for a year. <laughs> the ultimate. Uh, she was living with relatives at, at Sanath, and we think it's at a farm which is no longer there, but is now the land owned by the Whitehaven Mining Company. Mm-hmm. But her father said, "Look, I'm very interested in folklore and traditions. Will you write to me with customs and traditions?" So she wrote to him about Christmas and includes the mummers who oh, we met at, at St that, Bees. Yes. So uh, can I read you a, a quick bit of a, a short yes. extract of her? Sounds letter? intriguing. On the eve of the 25th, a party of mummers dressed in most fantastic costume came to the friars, the the farmhouse, and were admitted into the hall, where we saw them enact St George and the Dragon, the name of the play, with great spirit. Um, Though one of the Armstrongs, who who played the part of the King of Egypt, could not restrain his laughing propensities, and in the midst of a solemn charge to the doctor on doing his duty, burst into a loud guffaw that proved highly in infectious to most present, while it scandalised old Sally to the last degree. (laughs) She even carried her resentment so far as to present the luckless white when the play was ended with a bowl of hot buttermilk instead of the hot ale that had been prepared for the players. Oh, so confusing. And she goes on, they were succeeded by a droll set of very young boys and girls who, in shrill, childish treble, shouted rather than sang some old rhymes, commencing... Ool, 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 three puddings in a pool. <laughs> they too were allowed to come into the hall and were then persuaded to sing one or two carols more gently and consequently more pleasingly. Five of her letters survived and they describe a wide range of traditions, including a, a wedding on Christmas Day, uh, which is, is lovely to read. So we get a, a rare glimpse into yes. Christmas 1820. It's intriguing that because lots of coastal places will have had those sorts of stories. It just needed a narrator to dig them out. I, th- I think it's just great when you find what did they eat, how did they celebrate Christmas, what superstitions and customs uh, did they have, and thank goodness for the written word and Absolutely. the letter. Well, it's about time you moved a little bit further, Alan. Uh, Whitehaven beckons. Uh, it says three and three-quarter miles on this sign, so we'd better get a move on. <laughs> Interesting corner here where the lighting is changing all the time, Alan. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Golden glow onto the coast. You can see Salton Pit, the first undersea mine on the the edge there going out, and Whitehaven Lighthouse, of course, beyond uh, it in the distance. And of course, there is a colliery underneath the sea, which I gather is going to be extended again, I believe. Yes, yes. And just here, we've got a, a bit of sandstone quarrying going on. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a poignant spot. Now, you have a great interest in people, and you've done projects. <laughs> yes. Um, 
We did one um, back in 1999 on the Christmas truce, 1914, you know, when the soldiers on the Western Front lay down their arms, walked across no man's land, shook hands and Played football sang Silent Night and all of that. And it arose because it was in the age before digitisation and computers had really taken hold. And we realised that in local papers all over the country were first-hand accounts from soldiers who'd written back to their local paper about what they'd experienced on, you know, the, the Christmas 1914. And... The books at that time all had the rather dry official war diaries. So we wrote to all the local history societies in Britain and said, can you send a volunteer along to your library and get all these letters? And uh, Tremendous. We, you can still go to um, christmastruce.co.uk. It's not run by me anymore, but you'll find a lot of the letters there, including ones uh, from Cumbrian soldiers. Um, can I read you one? It's not, yeah, not a very... a Cumbrian one. A Cumbrian soldier, Christmas 1914. So he wrote this... It would have come back had published probably January, early January 1915. He starts off, You need not have pitied us on Christmas Day. I've seldom spent a more entertaining one, despite the curious conditions. We were in the trenches and the Germans began to make merry on Christmas Eve, shouting at us to come out and meet them. They sang songs, brackets very well. Our men answered by singing, Who were you with last night? And of course, Tipperary, brackets very badly. <laughs> the private soldiers of one army and the private soldiers of the other arranged a 48-hour armistice. It was all most irregular. The enemy sang all night and during my watch they played Home Sweet Home and God Save the King. It was rather wonderful. The night was clear, cold and frosty, and across to our lines at this unusually miserable hour of need came the sound of such tunes very well played, especially by a man with a cornet who is probably well known. Christmas Day was very misty, and out came these Germans to wish us a happy day. We went out and told them we were at war with them and that they really must play the game and pretend to fight. They went back, but again attempted to come towards us, so we fired over their heads. They fired a shot back to show they'd understood, and the rest of the day passed quietly in this part of the line. But in others, a deal of fraternising went on. So there you are. All this talk of hate, all this firing at each other that has raged since the beginning of the war, quelled and stayed by the magic of Christmas. Indeed, one German said... But you are of the same religion as us, and today is the day of peace. It is a great hope for future peace, when two great nations, hating each other as foes have seldom hated, should, on Christmas Day, and for all that the word implies, lay down their arms, exchange smokes, and wish each other happiness. amazing view looking back now Alan you can see the Isle of Man uh, just projecting from North Head yeah 
Uh, and it's got a golden light exclusively on Snaefell, the double summits. It's glowing like some uh, celestial mountains. It's quite mystical, isn't it? You Absolutely. know, it's uh, perhaps in keeping with the Isle of Man. But, uh, it does look otherworldly it almost. Does. Yeah. We've just come through an undercliff, which has been unusual yeah. on this walk. So we've got a, this cliffs above us as well as below us. And we're moving on towards the Sultan Pit, which is just ahead of us. And the sunlight's still on it. And you're looking north there towards the wind turbines at Workington so that Whitehaven and Workington are seen to be part and parcel of the same industrial area but we're still on the countryside section. It's quite unusual this fact because a lot of fern and as you say being on the undercliff you're not as open it's a bit more sheltered in fact in the summer the the fern gets so overgrown it can be a bit hard to find the path so Mm. it needs walking regularly. Yeah well we need more Um, country striders. Yes yes. And uh, during the course of the day we've seen lots of boats that coming to and through along this bit of coast Uh, but of course back in the day this actual bit of coast and this particular harbour at Whitehaven, well, it was number two to London in, yes, in importance. Yes, beat Liverpool, and uh, yeah. you, you don't often say that as a Southampton no. fan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very saintly of you um, to say that. But uh, no, it, it was a major international port, and up until probably about 1850, something like that, it had a, a natural bay, first of all. The Lowthers put a lot of money into it, of course, uh, built up the harbour walls, very successful. Incoming as part of the slave triangle, so rum, spices, sugars, uh, all those exotic things were coming into Whitehaven. Should have been a boom time for the town, but the Lowthers insisted on people living within this small footprint, wouldn't allow them to expand the town. So it became very overcrowded, very squalid. So all of these spices coming in, and of course Christmas would have been the time to enjoy all of those with their rum butter and uh, the festivities going on in the town. We know it was a great time of feasting and celebration in Whitehaven. Then sadly slipped into decline. Bigger ships were being built and they needed bigger harbours. And uh, there just wasn't the vision to say let's build a better harbour for Whitehaven. There's still a bit of a seaport, there's still uh, boats that go out but only uh, probably about 20 or 30 uh, as far as the fishing industry is concerned. Yeah. So I think like, uh, um, Stillworth gets a little bit of trade as well. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. But certainly it's fallen away on that way but as a place to come to it's a fascinating little scene for the visitors and untuned to that period in history. Well, of course, the harbour's now been, dare I say, yuppified well, with EU money and has been turned... So it's a nice place to visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's artworks all around the harbour describing the history. Uh, so, yes, it is a lovely place to visit. And the rum story in the centre of town is a lovely um, tourist exhibition museum which tells the story of rum and of the slave trade and of the harbour. Um, so, yeah, it's, an, it's a nice place to live and, and, and uh, we welcome all you country striders to come and visit. <laughs> All country striders, you're very welcome. We were talking only quite a short time, but even in that time, the lighting has changed over the Isle of Man. Because of the shadow, we're, we're feeling the cold much more than we were even a few minutes ago. Yeah. So yeah. I think um, it's get time, on. To, time to get towards Whitehaven. Head, head to the rum story, get some mulled wine. <laughs> Thank you. 
Gosh, the light's falling away fast there, Alan. Crescent moon in the sky and there's a golden haze of uh, the setting sun, the red sky at night, shepherd's delight. And it's freezing cold. And it's freezing <laughs> cold. And we're, we're now looking over the uh, harbour. Yes, it's a nice view from here. You can get a nice view over the harbour. We've got Jonathan Swift House on our left here, mm-hmm. uh, which is where uh, apparently the famous author lived for a while when he was younger. The legend is that he was looking down on the harbour saw the little people in the harbour from <laughs> up here and that gave him the idea for Lilliput. Well, uh, that's the tale anyway. Well, and that's... behind his house is the candlestick, yes. uh, a very famous feature, ex-mining gas vent. It does still occasionally catch light. A bit of lightning will, will light the gases coming out the top. Oh, right, methane uh, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so mm. it does still catch light. And the lights of the town at this time of day are quite sparkling. It's a very Christmassy scene in that sense. It is, and the harbour will freeze over on occasion when it no. gets... Yeah, it does, and it usually gets into the papers because they say, oh, the sea's frozen over. <laughs> Absolute nonsense, because there's a freshwater stream coming into the enclosed harbour. So the freshwater goes on top, and it's that that freezes. I see. So the, the sea doesn't, doesn't no, freeze it. And other famous people associated with the town? Well, apart from me, uh, there's one or two famous people. Well, you, because, you're yeah. absolutely right, um, you, yes. <laughs> can I tell you about John Fletcher Miller, who was an early 19th century, meteorologist really he recorded the weather uh, lived in Whitehaven totally obsessed with the weather and uh, phenomena in the sky eclipses shooting stars and all that kept detailed diaries beautifully handwritten that are still in the archive office in Whitehaven you can go along and see them you can can understand why the atmosphere and the climate would it's so prevalent you're so much in, involved with it here yes Even yes to... and uh, he, he recorded it all and he recorded christmas of course um i've got one extract from his diary when there was snow on christmas day <laughs> in 1836 and i know we have our weather forecasters who are all nice and bubbly but he wrote in a beautiful style in that time and he said on christmas day 1836 a more beautifully clear and settled evening than the last we never witnessed not the smallest cloud bedimmed the azure arch of heaven and the moon one day past the full shone through a serene and exceedingly sharp frosty atmosphere during the night however we had had a fall of snow for at 8 a.m this morning the ground was covered to the depth of one and a quarter inches on an average (laughs) and at 9 a.m the thermometer stood at 23 degrees The day has been generally clear with frequent sudden snowy showers which sometimes formed almost instantaneously and with scarcely any visible cloud. It has been by far the coldest day we have had within the limit of my observations, its mean temperature being 24.4 degrees. But he concludes by saying... In consequence of the snow, the mail did not arrive until 2pm. You mean the postie, <laughs> the postie came on Christmas Day? Yeah, the postman came on Christmas Day. There were, there were often two or three post uh, deliveries in each day, including Christmas Day. Is that remarkable? Uh, and, and the miserable old Scrooge <laughs> says, gosh, you know, where it's 2pm on my Christmas Day. Where is he? You know, <laughs> uh, I encourage people to go to the archives and right. look at his diaries and exactly. Uh, Exceptionally beautiful works of art in the way. He did drawings as well. Very meticulous. phenomena. He's yeah. very careful and precise about things. This is marvellous. Well, anyway, so just for a brief moment, we'll hark back to you rather than just the climate. 
<laughs> the climate of change is there in your publishing activities, I gather. You've got a new book on the go. There's a new book. Uh, will be due out at Easter, I'm glad to say. Right, yes. OK. Yeah. As the weather improves, uh, and uh, well, what's the title of the book? Get Lost. Pardon? <laughs> Are you referring to me? Get, get, <laughs> let me finish. Let me finish. Get, get lost in the ancient pathways of Cumbria. Ah. Uh, so it's a book looking at lonnings and trods and meanderings and all those curious paths and, and curious uh, bits of history associated with footpaths in Cumbria. We've had a wonderful walk. We started in glorious sunshine. It's gone to chill. Thank you so much. OK, thanks, Mark. Journey's end on the quayside in Whitehaven by the harbour. The last of the light now fading over the Irish Sea. Fabulous walk, Mark. I hadn't been along that bit of coast path before, but it's uh, it's a wonderful walk. Oh, it's a gorgeous walk. It's a dozen years since I was last here. Right. It never loses its uh, magic. On a winter's day, it's been marvellous. Um, wonderful company, of course, but... The scenery, the outlook, the, the feel of being in a maritime landscape. And you look out to the Isle of Man there and it's absolute magic. Perfect day for it. And uh, Alan serving up a very seasonal banquet of, of little Christmas goodies there. I thought that was... Oh, absolutely. There's some lovely stories there. I, many of them that were completely new to me. We're, we're kind of coming to the end of the country stride year, but we're not quite finished yet, are we? We're, we're going to be back in between that period between Christmas and New Year for our round-up of the year. Yes, we'll have a pick of the year because we've had so many wonderful experiences. And so we're taking one of our uh, earlier guests, uh, visiting John Manning, uh, editor of uh, Lakeland Walker. We'll go into his uh, local pub. So we'll hear little snippets uh, from various ones and we'll reflect on them and think about Lakeland and the Cumbria uh, in the round as a sort of summary of the year so that's the country stride review of the year with john manning another friend of the show uh, which as i say will be broadcast um probably on about the 30th december or maybe even the 31st so that's something to look forward to to round off this year but in the harbour side we're going to go and grab a, a mince pie and a, a bit of a mulled wine i think is, is the plan uh, but thanks for joining us on this section of the england coast path happy christmas <laughs> <laughs>